Today's text is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Please follow along as we read the passage aloud. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been merciful for the humble state of his servant. Merciful, sorry, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is God's word. Morning, church. Uh, um, I love Advent. I love the holiday season. I'm just really, really into it. Um, When we lived in a small apartment, me and my family, we did a little bit of decorating here and there for the holiday season. And then a couple of years ago, we moved into a little bit of a larger space and had a little more room and started experimenting. And we got a little bit of a bigger tree and it was just all very exciting. And my kids, two boys, 13 and eight, They have either inherited or it's been thrust upon them also a love for the holidays. And a couple of years ago, some some folks gave them some kind of like, you know, small little fake trees they, you know, passed down and the kids put them in their bedroom because it was like, we could decorate our bedrooms too and put lights everywhere and they're really into it. So we came into the holiday season this year and those old trees were sort of broken and my kids were like, we want Christmas trees in our bedroom. And 
I am a complete pushover because I'm like, heck yeah, yeah you do. Let's get some Christmas trees all up in there. And so I was like, here's 20 bucks each and you can buy, buy small little trees. Well, my, my 13 year old kind of lives by the same motto I do is like go big or go home. So he was like, I'll take that $20. I'll add my own money. I am getting a six foot tree. I was like, you go, babe. I'm so proud of you. And so, so he's like, yes. And then my youngest, he's got a little bit of a smaller bedroom. He's much more content with small things. He's like, I'll just get that little three foot tree. and I'm happy with that. And I great. So we placed the orders for the trees. Well, a few hours after we placed the order, my youngest is like, so uh, when are the trees coming again? Like, could you, just, could you just check, get an update? I'm like, it's, it's just gonna be a couple of days. Just, just hang in there. So we think, okay, we've got to get ready for the tree. Like, especially my, my older son's room's like, you know, six feet. It's kind of big and wide. And we're literally moving furniture around to make this thing fit. We're like, how are we going to squeeze this in? I'm like, you don't need that anymore, right? Let's toss that out. Like, we're just like making room. My youngest starts organizing. He's got their own, they've got their own like set of ornaments that they just kind of have and pulled them out and laid them out. It's like, okay, the trees are coming. Well, the day comes for the trees to arrive. There's a knock on the door. And what is there? One tree. I know. Oh, you guys are so empathetic. This is a great start. <laughs> and so, one tree, the six-footer. So my eldest grabs it and like lugs it upstairs into the room, like decorating. I mean, it's like a winter wonderland in there. He's got spinning lights. We've got it all going. But you can imagine how it is in my home. Phoenix is like, so uh, when's my tree coming? Where's my tree? Did it, did it get lost? So we jump back on, we check. Ah, oh, babe, it's been delayed. It's the holidays, it's coming tomorrow. Okay, okay, I can, okay. The next day comes, no tree. So then he starts saying, I'm just, mom, I'm really sad. Like, where's my tree? Like, he's got his tree. I'm waiting, I'm ready, like where's the tree? And I'm like, I know, I'm so sorry, it's okay to feel sad, and then literally delayed again. So we're in the car the next day, and he's just saying like, I'm just really bummed my tree's not here, like I'm really sad about it. And I'm like, you know what? It's totally fine to be sad. And you know, it's okay to feel disappointed, but don't lose hope, the tree is coming. And then I had an epiphany. And I'm in the car, and I'm like, guys, we're living Advent right now. This is Advent. When you're like so excited about something coming, but it's not here and you're disappointed, and it's in this in-between space, and I just go into this thing. And you would imagine that when I'm dropping some theological truth and insight like that, there would be this like rousing sense of appreciation and acknowledgement. <laughs> so I turned around in the car, my kids are literally just looking out the window, zoning out. I'm like, guys, this is a missed opportunity. Well, the next day, I arrive home to find the FedEx truck outside of the house. I walk in and from the back of the house, I hear this, mom, my tree came. So I go running in, he's in full decoration. I said, how do you feel? He's like, I feel so satisfied. I said, yeah, it's great when something you've been waiting for finally arrives. Maybe you're new to Advent. Maybe you're like, what is this Advent thing? Is it like chocolate calendars and candles? Is that the gig? Advent is that space in the middle. It's that, it's that middle portion, that in-between where it's like you find yourself somewhere, but it's not where you wanna be or you should be. It's like this awkward kind of middle space 
where there's longing and hoping and waiting and preparing, but you know that something's gonna emerge, but you just don't really know when. Fleming Rutledge, she is an Episcopalian pastor over in New York City, and she says this, Advent tells us about our own lives as Christians here and now. Advent's where we live and work and laugh and play and struggle and die. Advent's the time between, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, between darkness and dawn, between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It is not the time of fulfillment. It's a time of waiting. We live in this in-between space. Jesus came and set something into motion and redemption's being worked out, but it's not yet seen in all of its fullness. The in-between is frustrating and incomplete, often disappointing and difficult. Darkness is real, injustice and oppression are at work in our world, and the Advent season invites us to live into and reflect on and respond to those things that we often ignore and push aside and endure and just live with. It's to name the in-between, the struggle, the longing, the waiting. And this stands in contrast to the holly jolly holiday season where everything's just merry and bright and wonderful and we are bombarded with idyllic images of people frolicking in the snow and sipping hot chocolate and living in Pinterest-worthy houses where everything is wonderful. The holiday season says if you eat enough or spend enough or live lavishly enough, you don't have to think about the hard things. We can forget them for a season. But you see, Advent invites us to look at the darkness to acknowledge, yes, the wonder and the goodness in life, but also to recognize that life is complicated and sometimes disappointing. Advent says, look it right in the face. Don't shy away. The word Advent comes from that Latin word Adventus for arrival or coming. Something or rather someone is coming. Advent invites us to look at the horizon and expectantly wait, like something's coming. It's not, this is not all there is. There's, there's something new emerging. Paul Gordon Chandler in his book, Songs in Waiting, says during the Advent season, we're invited to prepare the way for something new in our lives brought to us by the living God. You see, Advent both says, look into the darkness and name it and acknowledge it, but it also beckons us to fix our eyes on the horizon and say something new's coming. Prepare for it, get ready. You maybe came in here this morning feeling overextended, overcommitted. It's common this time of year. You might be feeling stressed, anxious, feeling like your to-do list is forever going on. And to you this morning, I wanna say rest easy. Advent's for people like us that feel that way. Or maybe you've wandered here today and you're curious, is this a community that can handle my anger, my disappointment? Am I welcome to be honest here? And to you, I wanna say you're welcome. Advent is for people like us that struggle and wrestle with all of those things. And maybe you're here this morning with just a little bit of hope, nothing dynamic or huge or overwhelming, but just a little bit of hope that maybe there's still some goodness ahead. Maybe some things can be redeemed. Maybe there's a bright future. And to you, I wanna say, hang in there. Advent is for people like us clinging on to just that little bit of hope. Let's take a moment to pray before we dive in this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you're here this morning for all of us that feel weary and burdened. 
Thank you for the invitation of Advent to be real and to name where we're at. Thank you that you see our loneliness, our disappointment, and our desperation for connection. And God, thank you that you are also here doing a new thing. A new thing is emerging. And for those that have walked in the door this morning, chained with hopelessness and despair, I want to declare freedom in Jesus' name. In your name we pray. Amen. Today I want to explore the theme of Advent and expectant waiting through the life of Mary. We're gonna look at Luke chapter one and two conversations that Mary has, one with the angel Gabriel and one with her cousin Elizabeth. And it's funny, you know, the church has often idolized Mary or we've ignored Mary. Today, I want us to listen to Mary. I want to, uh, her to be our teacher, that her words, her own words would teach us because Mary embodies Advent. She's both holding, literally, the, the promise, the gift, the coming Messiah in her body and she's expanding to hold that and she's letting go of the life that was, the life, life that could have been, the grieving, the surrender, all of that. As a young girl called by God, I think there's a lot she can teach us about waiting and trusting and believing. And if we're gonna be people that prepare the way for something new, we need to know how to posture ourselves this Advent. So we're introduced to the angel Gabriel in the book of Luke. Earlier on, we, we learn about him. He goes to visit Zechariah the priest to say, hey, you're gonna have a son. It's gonna be John the Baptist. During that passage, he says, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Later in Scripture, it says that Gabriel was sent to Mary by God. He is a messenger carrying a promise. What's the promise? You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's quite a promise. Can you just imagine that moment when Mary's life is turned upside down? This is a massive disruption. She's young, she's a woman, she probably had some hopes and dreams for her life. I mean, at the very least expectations of what, what her life was gonna be about, things that she like maybe secretly wanted. And all of that shifts as a result of this disruption. From this point on, her destiny was shaped by that of her child. And disruption comes like that, doesn't it, sometimes? Almost out of nowhere, loss, disappointment, a curveball that we didn't see coming. And it catches us off guard and it changes everything. You know, if I'd preached this sermon four years ago, I would have said maybe like, you know, maybe it's hard for us to imagine a massive disruption like this. <laughs> but now I can just say, oh, you'll know. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what it was like for Mary. Of course, her was, hers was a very specific experience, but we're all a little more familiar with having our whole life shift in a moment. Facing things like quarantine and lockdown and death and fear and uncertainty and confusion, all of that coming at us very quickly and we all know how disorienting that was. And the reality is that as humans, we're generally creatures of habit. Like we wanna be in control. We wanna have our plans and we wanna have some level of order. 
And so when disruption comes, it is difficult to handle. I mean, sometimes it's traumatic, like what we all just lived through, but it doesn't take a global pandemic to kind of put us into a tailspin. Life is just full of all kinds of disruptions. Maybe it's that relationship that you invested so much in emotionally and it falls apart and crumbles and we're left wondering, was that a waste of time? I mean, who am I now? What does this mean for my life? Maybe it's a job that felt so secure and you're like, I'm set. And suddenly it's gone in an instant or it's threatened or it's changed so significantly that you're like, I I don't even know if I can keep doing this. Maybe it's an unexpected expense that just totally throws you off into a panic, a sudden health challenge or the loss of a friend. Any of these kind of disruptions deeply impacts us. And if you're facing a disruption today, I wanna say that you are in good company because the entire Christmas story is a story of disruption. A young girl is interrupted by a divine, angelic being that changes her life in an instant. Angels appear in the middle of the night to shepherds that are just going about their business, singing glory and like, hey, the Messiah's here. Dreams in the night, wise men from the east, earthly kingdoms threatened. I mean, it's easy at this time of year to think, oh, away in a manger, isn't it such a cute story? But it's not a cute story. It's a disruptive story. It's not tame or pleasant. This is a disruption to people and to power and to principalities. That's the story that we're talking about today. And the reality is, church, that Disruption is often necessary to make room for a new thing. Disruption is often necessary to make room for a new thing. And as much as we hate it and resist it, we need the changing, the shaking, the letting go to make room for the new thing. And there can be so much disappointment and disruption, so many unmet expectations, so much loss and grief, and even good disruptions that come our way. Things that we're like generally happy about. It's hard to adjust. I mean, we're second guessing what are my priorities now and do I have capacity and how do I live with this new thing? But just as Gabriel's words put Mary's life into a a totally different order, just as it brought disruption, it also brought expansion, that she could hold the promise. You think things had to change. She had to change, the Messiah was coming. And likewise, church, we have to make room for the new thing that God is wanting to emerge in our life. But it's not just the disruption, is it? I mean, maybe we hold on and we hunker down, we just get through the change and the upheaval and the disappointment, we make it through, and what's on the other side of that? a whole lot of waiting for like, oh, well, what now? Who am I? What should I do? It feels like life is moving very slowly and I'm watching everybody else get their thing and their thing arrive and I'm just here going, what about me? Should I be doing something? Should I just be standing here? Like, what should I be doing? Waiting is so incredibly vulnerable and uncertain. So what can Mary teach us about waiting? What can she teach us about this disruption? Well, let's look at her responses to the angels. In verse 34, she says two statements. In verse 34, she says, how will this be? Great question, Mary. Since I'm a virgin, legit. 
Next next she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Okay, here's my problem with this. I mean, I've read this passage my entire life. And every time I've read it, I've kind of just eye-rolled like, Mary, girl, it's time to step up. Like, seriously? The only thing that you want to say in the, in the midst of this incredible word about you're gonna give birth to the Messiah is, okay, how, physicality of this, like how is that actually gonna happen? And cool, okay, yeah, I'm in. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm like, seriously, that's it? I mean, I'd be like, Gabes, sit down. I've got some questions. Like, I need, there's some things I need to understand. Um, I have some requirements. I need some assurances, and I'm gonna need minimum 24 hours to decide because I've got options for my life, you know? Like, I'd have a lot more to say, but not Mary. Quick to respond. I'm the Lord's servant, and may the word be fulfilled. I think a good portion of my life, I placed little value on surrender. I mean, fight, resist, solve a problem, get stuff done, or avoid, distract, hide, something other than surrender. But I want us to be clear here, church, that Mary isn't surrendering aimlessly to the chaos and the disruption. She's not throwing her future to the wind and some vague new agey, I'll let the universe decide. She is surrendering to God. She's surrendering to a faithful, loving, unchanging God who promises to never leave us. She's not doing it because God is twisting her arm or backing her into a corner. She is choosing God's will, God's plan and God's purpose in her life. And by doing that, she makes room for the new thing. And who is gonna do the new thing? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power that most high will overshadow you. You see, this is God's work. God initiated it, God started it, God put it into motion. Hers is just a yes to His plan and His purposes and His will. And it's the Holy Spirit that is doing the thing in her life. Church, we are likewise invited to willingly surrender to the God that is trustworthy and kind and gentle with us because dependence on God is the posture of a child. And Jesus says the kingdom belongs to them. And dependence on God is the posture of Mary and I'm sure she modeled that for her son. And dependence of God is the posture of Jesus who in Philippians 2 it says he just emptied himself and he came and he was obedient to death on the cross. This is the life that we're invited to. What's disrupting your life right now? What is being shaken? What is being rattled around? What feels out of control or untamable or downright disappointing? What is disrupting you? Because somewhere in the disruption is an opportunity for surrender. It's an opportunity to say, God, I thought this was gonna actually be something different. Um, I had some other ideas. I have some other plans. Maybe it's a relationship or a person that you've been clinging onto. Maybe it's finances and security that have been driving your decisions and Jesus is just like, give that to me. 
Maybe you've been holding on to certainty and clarity and just driving yourself into the ground, trying to figure something out. Maybe you're holding on to old ways or past seasons or dreams and timelines and things that you're just like, I just don't wanna let go. We're invited to surrender those. As I was planning this sermon, I was thinking about what does surrender look like in my life? Like it's kind of this concept where like, well, how do I do that? What does that actually look like? And there are three kind of movements of surrender that I practice that I wanna share with you today. And they all begin with R because I love alliteration and my name's Ruthie. So the first one is readying surrender. Readying surrender. This is like how we posture ourselves, maybe at the start of a day, maybe at the start of a year, Maybe as we enter into church, it's kind of like, I don't really know what I'm surrendering yet, but God, I'm posturing myself. I want to choose dependence. I want you to lead my life. I want, you to, give, I want to give you these things. It's readying surrender. And then there's responsive surrender. This is when we're in the moment and we have awareness like, oh, I'm holding this thing and the Holy Spirit is asking me for it. And there's an invitation in the moment to just give something over. And then there's what I call reflective surrender. This is when we are maybe talking to a therapist or a loved one or journaling through the end of the year and we're glancing back and we're saying, huh, I see some themes here. I see some things I've been holding onto that are creating anxiety and holding me back and I wanna give those to Jesus. Whatever your surrender looks like, we have to be people of surrender if we want to make room for the new thing that God is doing. Immediately after this encounter with the angel, Mary gets up to go to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is her cousin. We know she's pregnant. Elizabeth is married to Zechariah. They're both descended from the priestly line. They're righteous people, but they haven't had any children. And at this time to be barren, it felt like a curse like you'd sinned in some way and they were old and they still hadn't had kids and it would have been a huge source of pain for them. But then the Gabriel arrives and is like, hey, disruption, you're gonna have a baby too and and it's gonna be John the Baptist. So Elizabeth is living her own version of a disruption and Mary arrives on her doorstep and Elizabeth hears her and says in a loud voice, blessed are you, among women, and blessed is the child you'll bear, but why am I so favored that mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my room leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. I want you to imagine this scene, two pregnant women, one much older than she ever thought she would be, one much younger than she ever thought she would be. Neither holds any position in society, no power. They're not politicians or influential people. There's no reason why God should choose them. They're just ordinary women. And church, this should inspire us and encourage us that God is still in the business of choosing ordinary people to do incredible things. Both of them are taken by surprise by God's sudden work in them. It's not like they saw this coming. How many of us in our lives are like, well, it just doesn't look good. Can't see how this could change. No signs of a breakthrough. God often never shows signs of a breakthrough. This is the suddenness and the surprise of God. It comes out of nowhere. We didn't see it coming, but it's like, oh God, you're at work here in this situation that I I thought was a lost cause. And then out of nowhere, you bring something so incredible that life 
is turned in an instant. Ordinary people being used by a surprising God. And Elizabeth says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You see, Mary wasn't just surrendered to God's plan, she believed it. She wasn't just surrendered to God, she believed him. She's faith-filled in this in-between space between the promise has been given, but it's not yet been fulfilled. She believes it. Church, can the same be said of us? Do we believe God? You know, a great way to discover whether we believe God is to pay attention to what we expect to receive from Him. Like when you spend time with God or come to church or you know, you're just talking to Him as you walk down the street, what do you expect? Do you expect God's goodness in your life? Do you expect that He's for you? working behind the scenes to bring about his good purpose? Do you anticipate being interrupted by his presence, seized by his love and overwhelmed by his spirit? Because what we expect, we'll ask for. The problem is that most of us rarely expect great things from God. I mean, isn't it true that when we we pray a big prayer and it's actually answered, we're like, whoa, Like, I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm kind of surprised. (laughs) Like, God legit answered that prayer. Whew, I guess He is real. You know, like, if we're honest and we we hear a story of healing, we're all like, oh my, okay. Or or provision comes and it's like, I needed that so bad. And I, gosh, I guess you did know God. Like, we're so taken aback because we don't expect the interruption of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't really believe that God still uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We tend to expect the same old, same old, ordinary. Expect to be underwhelmed, probably forgotten, probably overlooked, disappointed, let down. I mean, if we're honest. Because we've collected a lot of disappointments along the way. And when we collect them without processing and grieving and healing, what we tend to do is we tend to recycle them and live them over and over and over again in our head through the lens of resentment or hopelessness or cynicism. And we stack them up in our heart till there's just like this long list. And we kind of position ourselves to be underwhelmed by God because I don't really want to hope again because what if I'm let down again? Because I've got so many over here, I just can't think about adding one to the pile. And so we don't expect much and there's this hardness that develops in us. And maybe we needed that for a moment just to survive something hard, but church, it doesn't serve us anymore because our faith is waning and our hope is diminishing, but we're in a season where God's like, prepare for something new. I've got something new for you. It's time to believe him again. It's time to hit a reset. I didn't say this in the first service, but I feel it right now that there are some of you here that 2022 has been maybe the most disappointing year for you and you can feel the hardness towards God, and you can actually feel your faith just kind of diminishing. It's just kind of like, I just care less. I know, I don't show up with that same hope. And I almost feel like this morning, like this image of like God throwing you a lifeline and saying, it is not over. 
you can choose to trust him again. He's still doing a new thing. Two pregnant ladies from one woman would come one of the fiercest prophets that ever walked the face of the planet. I mean, he called out corrupt leaders. He called them a brood of vipers. And he called to the people on the margins and said, come. He prepared the way for the Messiah from one ordinary woman. From the other, the Messiah, the Son of God, who would set in motion a deliverance for all of us. Church, God is still in the business of surprising us. Something was unfolding then, it's still unfolding now. And Mary, she has a perspective that should inspire us. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. (laughs) I love this part. From now on, all generations would call me blessed. Let me tell you, some people would call that pride. That is faith right there. From this point on, people will know that I was part of God's plan. That's right, Mary. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is Mary's song. This is what we know as the Magnificat. This is the longest set of words spoken by a woman in the New Testament. And before his execution by the Nazis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this about the song. He said, the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song is nothing of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable word about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Mary's not messing around. Mary speaks like someone who knows that God is not finished. God is not finished. See, this is a song from the margins. This didn't come from someone with power or privilege that had been elevated. This is a song from someone that is in the midst of disruption and letting go. And perhaps it's in those seasons that we write the best songs. And when we find the most faith-filled words, maybe it's here in the in-between, when we haven't seen the fulfillment or the prayer answered, that we learn to sing revolution songs and pray prophetic prayers. When we're weary and we're second-guessing and we're fed up of the same old struggles, maybe it's here in this season, church, that we dig deep into faith, faith of like the ancients in Hebrews 12 who faced persecution and trials. Maybe it's in the midst of our uncertainty and the darkness where money's running out or community's dwindling or our job just got taken away or our relationships just blew up in our face. Like maybe it's in the midst of those moments that prophetic voices rise. See, Scripture calls us to live by faith. 
and not by sight. I don't know what's happening in your life right now that's got you in a tailspin or second guessing or afraid or uncertain, but I can promise you this, that God is still doing a new thing. Disruption may be shaking us, but faith is sustaining us, church. Disappointment may be squeezing us, but God's new thing is expanding us. This is the Christian life. This is Advent. This is hope. And did you know that for centuries, members of monastic orders actually would chant or recite or sing the Magnificat every day? Every day. Like we, we read this once a year, we're like, oh, who's that chick again? Oh yeah, Mary, mother of Jesus. Like cool, she wrote a song, right? And we read it maybe once a year, but they would read it and recite it every day. Sometimes, I read in one place, sometimes three times a day. They would take these words of a young pregnant woman. Some consider it's the most concise telling of the gospel anywhere in scripture. This is a dangerous song. It's a disruptive song because it centers in the middle of God's work, those who trust him, those who are hungry, those who are humble and downtrodden, that there is hope for them, that God is turning the world upside down that God is not finished. This is a powerful song. And who did God choose to give it to the world? A young woman. Throughout history, actually, the Magnificat has been banned in some countries around the world by oppressive regimes. They considered the writing down of it or the speaking out loud so dangerous that it would incite riot and revolution. So it was literally banned. You can Google that later and find the different countries throughout history. And it's like, seriously? So threatened by the words of a young pregnant girl? Maybe they've read the same Bible that I've read. Because Mary is far from the first to speak words of revolution and change throughout scripture. I mean, she's one of many women that are not observers or even passive participants, but central to the work of God. I mean, maybe you've heard of the five daughters of Zelophehad in Numbers 27, who for the first time negotiated with Moses from land rights, setting in motion legal rights for women. Their voices literally changed the law. Or Deborah, who declared victory against a violent and oppressive invader and then said, and that victory is gonna go to another woman over her, elevating her story. Then there's Esther who challenged one of the most powerful men in the nation by speaking truth to power and saving entire nation from genocide. Oh, I don't know, let's also throw in some New Testament women like Phoebe, Priscilla, Junia, Joanna, Susanna, and others who are leaders in the church, preachers, teachers, bankrolled the ministry. See, the voices of women inspired by God have been a threat to the enemy for a very long time. And as I have prepared this message, I have felt such a burden for women in our community and I'd just like to speak to you for just a moment. Because some of us in our lives, we were told to be quiet, be more demure, be more passive, be silent, don't bring a word, don't use your gifts, there's no room for you here, you're not celebrated. And when I read scripture, and when I read the story of Jesus' birth, 
What I see are women at the center of God's story, voices bringing change. And I wanna speak to the unlocked potential in your life that you feel like is just bursting to break out. And you think there's no place for me. I don't have an opportunity. Or maybe you're in a life stage where you're like, I don't even know how to use my gifts. Maybe you're home with young kids. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're in business or the arts. I don't care where you are. Your voice is anointed by God to bring change and the enemy wants you to stay silent. And this morning as we were in pre-service prayer, I saw Jesus just ripping muzzles off of women in this community. We need your voice. We need your voice. We need to stand alongside our brothers in Christ. We need their voice to gather expectant for the new thing that God is doing. God is bringing disruption and change. God is using disruption and change to bring about an emerging new thing. And Advent is our time to remember that God has not finished telling his story or your story. And we get to use our voices to say, God, we believe you. We believe you're still the God that you said you were. You're still doing a new thing. And even with that little scrappy little piece of hope, it's like, okay, God, I wanna re-engage and I wanna believe you. In a moment, we're just gonna move into a time of response.